second lesson this morning comes from us, uh, comes to us, rather, uh, from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power, And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I just want to note that I know that some folks um, have some troubles with the letters of Paul, and I understand what that feels like. Uh, But as we spend the next few weeks uh, within the letters, I hope that we can come away with it from it with a new perspective about how instructive and helpful these letters can be within the context of the first century and within our context today. So that's one of my hopes as we move into this time where we take a little bit of a break from the gospel and where we move into the epistles. Not quite sure that we might find out what the baseball score is for my son's game. Could have been my call, too, right? Um, A few years ago, when we were in Germany, we were on a train where there was a mix-up about the seats. 
And I don't speak German, but I could tell from the train attendant's body language and her tone of voice that we were definitely doing something wrong. We were in the wrong seats. And we didn't know why. We didn't know what had happened. And I knew that I would not be able to speak in words that this individual, that this person could understand. But I still believed that there was a way that I could communicate with her. And through body language and common gestures and some words that are pretty universal now, like no and okay, we were able to figure out what needed to happen and we were able to move to the correct spot and it worked. It worked. And as I reflect on just this little tiny experience, I consider it actually no small miracle what happened. Because what it continues to teach me and to remind me is that life is communication. That life is communication and that communication is not limited by language or culture. Certainly lives a very complex and robust world within the context of language and culture, but communication is not limited to language and culture. Now, how many of us in this room have pets? Or have had pets, right? You know that communication with a pet doesn't often immediately take on the form of words, right? We try our words because that's what we as humans know. But often, even a step through the door, or even with my dogs, if you just pick a rack, a coat rack off of a coat, a coat off of a rack, all of a sudden the dog knows exactly what's happening, right? So communication is not limited to language, it's not limited to culture, it's not even limited to species, right? And as those who are zoologists and who are studying our marine environment will learn and know and tell us that there's communication that exists within species of animals that we cannot understand, and yet it's complex, perhaps even more complex than the language of being human. So communication is everything. It's intuitive, it's necessary for survival, and it exists with almost all of the matter on this planet. Perhaps even beyond. And this exchange, this transmission of communication, and the way that we think about it, is, I believe, one of the greatest gifts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to place oneself within the Christian context. There's multiple ways for thinking about what it means to be a Christian within our 21st century, and I'm going to sort of use the loose, use the loose definition of sort of a sentence that ranges from people of Jesus to people that put themselves within the Christian tradition, right? And this transmission of communication is one of the greatest gifts that we have if we put ourselves in this tradition. Because the essence of the gospel is communication. The essence of the gospel is communication. And this is why, if you'll notice in Paul's letters, and particularly in the prayer that we read today, that Paul talks about the gospel as a word. 
He talks about it as a word, and he's not talking about it as a word within the context of a lexicon. He's talking about it as a word that functions as a communication to the world. It's a message, right? It's a message that goes out into the cosmos. Now, how is it that we often see that message phrased or thought about or talked? And I think that it's important that we sort of get our minds wrapped around this, especially as Christians today, because often what we'll see is that the message gets phrased as something that needs to be coerced upon the other, right? It's a message that then the other needs to partake in, that the other needs to believe, And I want to suggest that I don't know that that's exactly what the early church had in mind. That the early church, as it moves into the future of what it might think itself to be, it it calls the gospel a word, a message, a communication. But it has this very distinct idea that this is a message that is a gift to the world, not a weapon, right? It's a gift to the world. And it's a gift that exists in freedom. It exists in truth. It remains a gift in every context, in every situation. And it offers itself continually, at times even when it's unwanted or rejected, but still standing there offering freely, not in coercion, not in coercion, not in coercion. I need to keep saying that. Because I think that part of what our job is as people in this day and age is to figure out how to reclaim our faith and to really become people who can speak for the winsome side of the Christian tradition because it's here. It's here and it's been here since the very tradition. And if we can frame the foundation of our faith in this way as a message that stands to the world as a gift then I think we have a practical and hopeful way of building the blocks that we'll need for our future. And that's why it's so important that we get our mind wrapped around these ideas. You see, the premise of this letter to the Colossians was that there was indeed actually a true revelation There was something that happened in the person of Jesus. There was a real communication that took place in his life and death and resurrection. There was something about that particular historical event that needed to be known that we would not know without his coming. So there was something about his life and death and resurrection that needed to be known and that we would not know without the coming of Jesus. And so Paul says this was a word, right? Not a lexicon word, but a message to the world. It was a word that went out to you, he says to the Colossians. A communication that came in and through the person of Jesus and then began to take root in the world. It began to put down roots within the context of real community and real people. And Paul says that when this message happened, when this communication happened, that it began bearing fruit and growing. Meaning that there was something in this communication 
Something in this gospel, something in this word that came through the person of Jesus that was inherently generative. Inherently generative. It was designed to impact and to change and to connect and to create something good. To create something good. Now, I want you to just imagine for a minute, put ourselves back in that imagination of the first century. And this is so important as we read scripture, because often when we read it, we hear all of the last 2,000 years of messages, right, that have sort of been um, coming down this river of the Christian tradition. And some of those phrases get stuck in our minds. So we need to put ourselves back in that first century imagination And imagine what it could have been like for these first hearers of this. Now, life in the first century is a life, remember, where there were a lot, a lot, a lot of lines. There were a lot of boundaries. There were a lot of lines around identity. There was a life where you you were a Roman citizen or where you weren't a Roman citizen. And that had huge implications for your freedom and how it is that you lived within the world. There was life where you were an ancestor of Abraham or where you weren't an ancestor of Abraham. And that had huge implications for how it is that you functioned within the world. There was life where your village or city had something to offer the Roman army. And so it could function as sort of an outpost for military engagement. And that, of course, churned the wheels of the economy, right? So there were cities where you could and you had something to offer or cities where you did not. And that then had adverse impacts on your economy. It was a time that was very ripe for ideas about God and deity. Because as we all know, these ideas bring power. So it was a time that was ripe for ideas about the powers of deity and how those powers could be used to form alliances for the sake of empire and idea expansion. Back then, we can never forget that it was the Romans who had the power. And power always breeds expansion and colonialism at all costs. And so it was into this world, with all of these lines and all of these ideas about empire and all of these ideas about who was in and who was out, And all of these ideas about who has a connection to God and who doesn't. It was into this world that this message of the gospel came. And it was into this world that Christianity, especially through this letter, we begin to see, ripped through all of those boundaries. And if you can imagine all of those tribal boundaries that were just sort of laid down in the first century This idea about who Jesus was just becomes sort of this plow that treads the whole ground and rips all of these boundaries out by by their roots. Because the idea was 
that the only necessary communication that we needed for the world, the one that was going to give us everything that we needed about what it meant to be human and how it is that we understood ourselves, this communication happened in the person of Jesus. And it wasn't about power, but it was about human connection. It was about human solidarity. So we can never forget this idea that the incarnation in and of itself was a communication that took on everything about what it meant to be human and then sort of sent it through this place of matter, this person where all of that meaning was sanctified through his very life and death. And I know that we know that, but we sometimes forget that this was not only a radical idea, but it was one of the most boundary-slicing, tribal-transcending, human-family-aligning things that had ever been done. Ever. The Colossians, this little far outpost that was now on sort of the interior of what is western Turkey, just south of Laodicea. So if you remember when we were doing the series on the book of Revelation and we talked about all of those outposts that were along that western edge of Turkey, well, Colossae is actually one of those not included in the letter to the Revel- in the letter of Revelation or in the, um, yeah, John's letter, the Revelation. Um, the book of Revelation. Anyway, the point is that the Colossians weren't included in that letter, but they were actually just a part of those villages that were experiencing that same thing. They were an outpost of the Roman Empire, and it was to this particular community that this whole new idea of what it meant to be human was arriving. So now think about what Paul says. I know that we are good students of the Reformation, and when we hear this last verse, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, that we all think about the way that sin had been conquered on the cross. I know that we are good students of the Reformation, and we know that. But friends, in the first century imagination, When you have been transferred out of a kingdom, you have been transferred out of the kingdom of Rome, and you have been put into a different way of what it meant to be human, where the boundaries that exist within the Roman Empire do not exist in the human family that you are now a part of. So when you think about that transferring, between one kingdom another and another. I don't want us to think anymore about all of the sins that we have been committed have now been made null and void in the person of Jesus Christ and we've been put into this future kingdom. All of that is true, but the reality is that it's not changing the way that we live. 
And we need a different imagination to get back to the first century so that we can reclaim some of these ideas and we can recognize again that when Paul was talking about this transferring, he was talking about a new way of being human that took you out of the Roman Empire so that you didn't have to live with the shackles of all of the boundaries that folks had to bear in their daily community and life. So they were no longer in the kingdom of Rome, but they were where? Under the umbrella of the beloved son. You see, that is a new way to think about what it means to be human. It was a new way to figure out how to orient their meaning and their lives. It changed everything. So now all of those boundaries that were laid down in the first century, were you a Roman citizen? No matter, there was a bigger way to think about being human. Were you a person of ancestral lineage to Abraham? No matter, there was a bigger way to think about being human. Were you a woman? No matter, there was a bigger way to think about being human. Were we to push that into the way that we think about life today? Were you transgender? No matter, there was a bigger way to think about being human. It was a word that stretched us all, linked us all, put us all in a family that was under the umbrella of God's beloved son. All. That's the word. I'm not making it up. You see, communication is everything. This word to the world is everything. And we do not need to minimize the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection in order to reclaim what it means to be Christian in the 21st century. We do not have to minimize it. We just have to remember what it actually meant to those first folks who heard it. Communication is everything. It's survival. It's life. And what Paul is saying is that it is actually the shape of God. That communication is the shape of God. It is bearing fruit. It is growing. And in no way... Does it offer the power to conquer or coerce? Does not offer that power. And that, I think, is one of the greatest miscommunications of human history. Do you notice what Paul's prayer is about? It's about life. Ultimately, that's what he said. When he's talking to this little church that's on this outpost, he says, lead lives that are worthy of the Lord. Worthy just means weight. Lead lives that are full of gravity, that have purpose. Lives that are full to the brim with this investment in hope. Lives that bear witness to this light that was the communication to the world. 
That's what Paul's talking about. That's what his prayer is for the church. That they will lead lives that are full of weight. Lives that offer a light to the world. I want to close by just doing a little bit of reflection on communication now. And I just want to warn you, I could be wrong about a lot of this stuff. So don't hold me to it. But let's use it as a point to sort of fact check each other. And if I'm giving you fake news, just let me know. Um, so we'll do our best here. Facts are tricky in our day and age, but we'll, we'll keep it going. We'll keep a narrative of truth alive, right? Um, so anybody want to take a wild guess about what the most revolutionary piece of communication is in the last 20 years? And particularly the iPhone, right? Yeah, okay. Um, the iPhone, right? Again, I'm not making that up. Um, and before the iPhone, the cell phone, right? Now, the cell phone, um, again, fact check me, okay? Uh, but from what I understand, the cell phone was revolutionary because what it did was that it allowed the same signal to pick up on different waves, to reuse waves that were sent in a particular area. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I barely know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, we need to get this figured out because we use it on an everyday basis, right? But that's why the cell phone was so radical, is that it didn't just use one wave to send the signal to where it was going, but was actually able to reuse other waves that were in a particular area. Okay, that made it possible for people to place wireless calls. Do you want to know when the first wireless call was placed? It was placed in New York on April 3rd of 1973. And it was actually from an executive of Motorola who called an executive of Bell, right? Remember that old thing? Um, they called an executive of Bell to let them know that they were placing a wireless call. That was in 1973. And that was based on using these waves multiple times within one particular area, being able to pick up a, a wave that had already been used. And then the iPhone revealed when? In 2007. January of 2007 is when the iPhone was revealed, and it was later available for sale in June of 2007. And by August of 2017, anybody want to take a guess of how many iPhones have been in the world slash are in the world? 1.2 billion. 1.2 billion devices within that 10-year period. And of course, it wasn't just the processor within the phone that made the iPhone so revolutionary. It was the interface and the fact that Wi-Fi became so easy for everyone to use. And Wi-Fi is what? Again, fact check me later. It's the ability to send out electro electromagnetic waves that capture data that can then be repuzzled back together on the other end. I just want to wonder about something with you together. You think about it and let me know. Cell phones use electromagnetic waves. Wi-Fi uses electromagnetic waves. 
Light is electromagnetic waves. We do not make communication. Communication exists in this universe. Whether we like it or not, it is everything. And it is everywhere. In every email, text message, emoji, mindless scroll, there is light that is being shared within the universe. It's nothing new. Nothing. The shape of God is communication. That's not a new idea either. It's 2,000 years old. Live lives that share the light, Paul says. You don't belong to the darkness. You belong to the beloved Son. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that we get to be people who live in the light. Help us to do the good, strong, hard work of living into that space and not letting the darkness restrain us. We ask this in your name. Amen.